Oh hey, what's going on? Didn't see you there. Welcome to 2022, and welcome to episode 63 of One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch Podcast. Now this is of course a podcast where we talk about everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. If you're a returning listener, welcome back to a new year, and if you're not, allow me to introduce myself. I'm your host, Sir Dr. JM. That's at Sir DRJM on all socials, so why not give me a follow? Reach out to me over on Twitter as I'd love to interact with you, bring your topics, questions, comments, concerns, uh, whatever you want to hear on the show, over to the show. Now, you may or may not be aware that this is the first episode of 2022. So, Happy New Year. Hopefully, you had a warm and happy holidays. Maybe you got a bit of a break. Maybe took it easy, played some games. Maybe hugged some loved ones. You know, maybe increased your SR. I, for one, started the year off by catching COVID-19. And let me tell you, that was not fun. The whole uh, the whole family in my house had it. Uh, we're all healed up now and feeling much better. Uh, but we did, obviously, take a bit of a break from things as much as we could over that time. So keep safe out there, get vaccinated, make sure you're taking care of yourself. But enough with that, we've got a big show to jump back into. So let's continue. You can, of course, find this podcast on all your favorite podcast services out there, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc, etc. So give us a follow, leave us a review, tell your friends, all that jazz. Now, of course, I encourage you to also check out Ready, Set, Pwn, available on podcast services everywhere, if you'd like to hear more of my sultry voice. Now, on today's episode, we've got the entire second half of December to talk about, uh, plus just about the entire first half of January, which honestly isn't a ton, but there's some stuff. So let's dive on in. About time you did something useful. All right, for our first story, we're actually going to rewind time just a touch here. Uh, We're going to go back, back, back to December. Uh, so this was actually a news story that broke just very, very shortly after I posted uh, my last or most recent episode of One Man Watchpoint. Of course, of course, the Winter Wonderland 2021 episode. Uh, the last episode was December 15th. That's right. It's been almost a month since our last episode. That said, um, this news broke and it was kind of a big deal. So I really wanted to talk about it, obviously. Uh, a couple weeks later uh, would have placed us right after the sort of, or right in the middle of the Christmas winter holiday break kind of thing. Um, so I didn't actually post an episode that day. There wasn't a ton going on. There wasn't really anything being announced. Um, so I kind of skipped that episode. And then, of course, the next week had COVID and all that jazz. So I want to go back in time to December 17th with an article by Jack Marsh on GG Recon, which reads, Overwatch content creators finally optimistic after Blizzard NDA meeting. The long-awaited sequel to Overwatch is nearing its first appearance in 2022 as the official Owl is set to be played out on an early build of the game in spring. But after the full game was delayed until later in the year, Activision Blizzard has now opted to give their content creators a taste of what's in store. Activision Blizzard gathered a large collection of the biggest content creators and streamers that Overwatch has to offer, and organized a call to reveal details of what the sequel will entail. While no detail have been disclosed, details have been disclosed to the public with the creators agreeing to an NDA, non-disclosure agreement, many of them have taken to social media to express their excitement. After being gathered into a call to be spoken through, bracket, or showed the NDA has proven rather waterproof so far, what was to come in Overwatch 2? A range of content creators have claimed they are optimistic and confident about the state of the game now and that the sequel will prove to be a hit. They've then got a screenshot or uh, the tweet embedded from Samito at Samito FPS. Respect to the at play Overwatch team. 
For the first time in a long time, I'm rightfully optimistic. I can't wait to see this game back where it belongs in this industry at the top. Here's to the future. Popular YouTube uploader CarQ also said, quote, I'm on a flight and paid $15 for Wi-Fi to attend the Overwatch creator meeting. I'm under NDA and all I can say is that it was worth it. Other content creators also showed their excitement with the likes of EVA claiming, quote, my confidence in Overwatch's future is through the roof. They've then got uh, EVA's tweet embedded in the article there. After being a part of the meeting with the Overwatch devs, all I can say is my confidence in Overwatch futures, Overwatch's future is through the roof. Popular content creator Stylosa also praised the developers for their transparency through the NDA call, claiming it's the first time in five to six years they've communicated freely without, quote, all the bullshit PR doublespeak. Talking to Twitter, he said, quote, for the first time, they've started to speak to us without all the bullshit PR doublespeak. And let me tell you, Blizzard have been abysmal in dealing with its creators for years. After giving examples of PR disasters, including blocking of interviews with Jeff Kaplan, he added, quote, while they wanted me to attend events, they at times made it very difficult for me to actually do anything. Very stressful. However, it appears that the company has finally begun to clear the air with their content creators, who all seem to be excited by what they saw in the Overwatch 2 NDA showcase call. So there you have it. Uh, in a way, straight from the horse's mouth, if you will, um, if the horses in this case are a bunch of content creators. Seemingly very, very good news. Um, it's... Uh, it's, it's very exciting to hear this kind of uh, information. And of course, it's fantastic that this information is being shared at all. Uh, the Overwatch team and Activision Blizzard obviously could have kept a lot of this themselves and just not said anything and kept on business as, as usual. But it's great to hear that they decided to uh, bring some of the content creators, bring in some of the community that has kept their game uh, relevant in any way over the past, you know, five years, uh, under their umbrella kind of thing. Now, my biggest gripe with this is how do we get on this list? You know, how do we get one man watch point invited into this call? I mean, I get it. I have 10 listeners at best, and I'm not even convinced any of those people are actually listening. I think they might just be bots, but Hey, reach out to me on Twitter if you're a real listener. Um, but I digress. It sure would be interesting and exciting to, uh, be brought into the loop in some way or another. Now, Getting down to it, the real nuts and bolts are what exactly could they have shown or talked about. Um, so obviously, back when this kind of broke, there was lots of talk. I think Plat Chat did an episode where they talked about it. Um, I know we discussed it on the episode of Ready, Set, Pwn that followed uh, shortly after this was announced. Um, ultimately, uh, I truly don't have a good guess or a good gauge. I think they must have shown content in terms of Overwatch 2 uh, maybe new characters, maybe new maps, maybe sort of the the breadth of what's changing. Um, obviously, they inspired confidence somehow. And, you know, for this game being a primarily PvP-based game, I don't suspect they would have been showing the uh, so-called, you know, uh, co-op aspects of the game. I think they would have been focusing on the PvP because most of the content, well, all of the content creators at this point are obviously focused on the competitive... Uh, not necessarily competitive game mode, but the competitive PvP nature of the game, because that's all that exists right now. So I think they must have shown them uh, some nitty-gritty in terms of how the game's working, maybe in terms of new modes, uh, new maps, maybe more new characters would have been great, obviously. All of this stuff is pretty low-hanging fruit, pretty pretty obvious 
that this is what they could have shown. Um, what could be more interesting in terms of what they could have shown, they could have shown how this will integrate with Overwatch 1, um, given, you know, when they first showed off Overwatch 2. That was one thing they were big on, is, you know, skins will carry over, um, whatever, unlocks, uh, uh, sprays, uh, portraits, all that stuff will carry over. Um, obviously, it feels like we're closer to that future than ever before, given the um, addition of crossplay and things like that this past year. Um, definitely feels like with the Battle.net um, sort of account holding your information rather than the uh, the system you're playing on holding that information. Seems like that stuff could be realistic, so that would be great. Um, hopefully, they shared uh, sort of um, monetization models. So I would love I would would love it if they had uh, shown these content creators how they're going to be presenting the game to the public. So you know, is it going to be free to play with a battle pass? Battle pass you know, grants you unlocks, maybe special skins, maybe special items or cosmetics, but not gameplay affecting things. Um, something to that extent. I know that's a, that's one thing I'm very interested in, given the landscape that uh, gaming is in today with things like Fortnite, with Apex Legends, um, even with Halo Infinite's recent release and things like that. So there's obviously a ton of stuff they could have shown them. And when will we find out? That is, of course, the real question. Now, to that effect, I don't believe we truly know much. Um, I don't believe we truly know uh, when we will find anything out. However, I believe we have a hint. Um, and we actually talked about this on the episode of Re last episode of Ready, Set, Pwn that I was on. That would, of course, not be the most recent episode because I was sick during that episode. One before that, back in 2021, way back last year, you know. Um, we discussed this content creator meeting. And one little thing that uh, one of the other hosts, I believe it was Chris, mentioned is that uh, Adam Adamu at Grayson, uh, who works for Overactive Media, um, I'm not sure his exact title, I could definitely look that up. Um, he mentioned, I believe he tweeted out a set of eyes and said January 14th, Adam Adamu is the CSO, head of esports at Overactive Media, the company that, of course, owns the Toronto Defiant, as well as the Toronto Ultra, and the Mads Lions, uh, an LEC team. Uh, so anyways, I believe he tweeted out the eye emojis, or the eyes emoji, and January 14th. So that leads me to believe that we could be getting news on this very, very shortly, as soon as this week, Friday. If you're listening to this on the day we post, which of course would be Wednesday, January 12th, then we could be finding out what this news is, or some of this news, a mere two days after this episode goes live. If that's the case, depending on how groundbreaking it is, maybe I'll be back and record a special shorter episode to discuss it with myself. If that is not the case, or if, you know, I just don't feel like it, then uh, look forward to the next episode of Ready, Set, Pwn, which will, of course, post on Wednesday, January 19th, where I, myself, uh, at Sir Dr. JM, uh, and our other hosts, Chris and Alex, will, of course, share our thoughts on what is announced. Now, Adam, obviously, working for Overactive Media, also works for uh, works with the Toronto Ultra, the Call of Duty League team that they own, um, as well as the Mad Lions, as I mentioned there. So this could this tweet could be totally innocuous and not related to Overwatch at all. But I've got my fingers crossed that we'll be hearing something this week. So let's move on. Um, but I did want to obviously talk about that news story because when it broke, it was big. 
Um, it was, you know, all the rage. It's, it's, it's pretty much all, all of the content creators we're talking about. And of course, anyone who was outside of that call, uh, so people like casters, uh, the entire cast of Platchat, if you will, um, discussed it at the time, but ultimately we haven't heard much since. So here's hoping for more this week. Moving on from there, we're going to jump over to .esports.com where we'll read an article by Liz Richardson posted on January 6th. 6th sorry. So we're coming into 2022 here. Overwatch's latest live patch introduces wild Hanzo Cassidy buffs. Overwatch developers often get a lot of flack from the community for not including sizable changes in live patches. This time around, they apparently heard that criticism and took it personally, giving the community numerous changes that will really spice up the game for better or worse. The January 6th live patch borrows heavily from the Overwatch Creator Cup patch, which was fashioned by community creators specifically for a global tournament. The creators put forth a ton of wacky changes like giving Zarya larger bubbles and letting Ana give herself a nano boost. Developers borrowed a few of those changes for this legitimate live patch. Some of the buffs in this patch are relatively innocuous, innocuous sorry, like letting Torbor Torbjorn use his alternate fire for less ammo. Others like a massive damage increase to Reinhardt's ultimate and the completely unprecedented return of Hanzo's scatter arrow ability will likely turn the competitive community on its head. This patch was reverted for a few hours on January 6th to fix a bug where Hanzo's storm arrows went through shields, but is now live on all Overwatch platforms. So let's break it down hero by hero and we'll talk about these changes. Just give me one second, I'm just going to have a sip of tea here. Ah, really soothes, soothes the throat. I haven't talked this much or, or at this pace for, for a while because of, uh, you know, taking a bit of a break and being sick and everything. So I'm catching up. I'm, I'm stretching again, warming, warming up those muscles again. Now let's get in it. Hero changes. Cassidy. Combat role can now be used while Cassidy is in the air. This change, while massive, has been tested in the experimental card over the past year. Cassidy can now use his combat role while airborne, allowing him to get out of sticky situations caused by Doomfist hits or Wrecking Ball pile drivers. Watch out! for the flying cowboy. Now, this change I actually really like. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think when I discussed the uh, Overwatch Creators Cup uh, patch that they were working with for that tournament, I believe this change was in there, and I believe this is actually one that I did say uh, I didn't mind and, and I thought would be kind of a cool one to have in the live game. So here we are. Um, I know I saw a clip on Twitter of a Doomfist um, using his uppercut ability to launch Cassidy in, into the air on, uh, what's that map? Uh, 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 it's not Dorado. Rialto's the map I'm looking for. Um, so Doomfist uses his uppercut ability on a Cassidy at the very start of Rialto, and it launches Cassidy into the air, and then he actually uses his combat roll and just rolls right onto the balcony at that uh, starting area and totally, you know, kind of escapes Doomfist's grasp at that moment and that's exactly what I want to see with uh, this kind of a change you know really gives Cassidy a lot more ability to um, disengage if he needs to um, or also you know just create positioning create some space there uh, should increase his survivability against characters like Doomfist um, and a number of other characters as well so Hanzo storm arrows ricochet upon once upon impact November's Creator Cup patch brought back one of Hanzo's old abilities, Scatter Arrow, which was removed as a part of his complete rework in early 2018. For the uninitiated, Hanzo's shot Hanzo, wow, shot an arrow that then ricocheted against any hard surfaces, bouncing into enemies several times before it dissipated. It was replaced with Storm Arrow in the rework. Developers have now brought back what we're calling Scatter Arrow Light with this live patch. Hanzo's Storm Arrows will now bounce once after impact, opening up an entire 
world of weird shots and ad additional damage for talented snipers. If you are mad about getting headshot by Hanzo across the map, now you can get eliminated behind cover if you're unlucky. So again, another interesting one that really could serve to create some space um, and give Hanzo an even better uh, disengage ability where, you know, he's always had, well, not always, but since his rework, he's had his... Um, I forget what it's called, but his his jump where it propels him in whatever direction you're 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 pushing. So certainly, you know, if you're in a pinch, you could disengage, use your your storm arrow, um, shoot it at the ground, and it's going to hit something, um, even if you don't directly hit the the person who's attacking you or pushing you. Uh, given that that bounce, this one probably a bit more controversial controversial because that. Uh, rework of Hanzo I think was pretty well received and Scatter Arrow prior was quite broken you could literally kill almost any character as Hanzo just if they were in a hallway um, so the rework changed things quite a bit and I'm definitely surprised to see this ricochet come back although you know a bit of a nerf uh, in you know combining it with Storm Arrow seems a little strange but I digress we'll see how this pans out now here's a fun one for you. Moira can now jump much higher while using Fade. Moira doesn't quite have an 8-foot vertical leap, but this buff will allow her to get out of danger in a similar manner to Cassidy's newly aerial combat role. So this one, it's actually quite hilarious to go watch videos of Moira's new uh, Fade jump, because she really, when she's using that Fade ability, she catapults herself now and can definitely, definitely, again, this patch seems to be all about creating space and increasing mobility for some of these characters. Um, obviously, Hanzo's is not about a mobility, but still, it would be would be huge for creating space. Um, so Moira, especially being you know in theory in the back lines, um, being positioned as a support character, having the ability for her to really disengage, where she used to use fade to you know just move around a corner, now she can really disengage, really clear some ground, really um, get out of a fight. Or, you know, uh, just reposition quite significantly compared to what she used to be able to do. Reinhardt. Earth Shatter now deals an additional 200 damage within 1.75 meters of the impact area. Reinhardt's ultimate Earth Shatter already levels anyone caught within the cone of impact that branches out from his massive hammer. Now, enemies who are caught within the hammer's swing zone will be dealt another 200 damage. This effectively eliminates heroes like Tracer and Hanzo with one hit, even if they're at full health. Watch out for that swing. So here we see sort of uh, a counter to a lot of what I'm talking about. Um, this one, obviously, it's Reinhardt's ultimate, so he has to build up to it before he can, you know, unleash it and everything. But this also means he's going to be a lot harder for uh, some of these uh, DPS characters to counter, where, you know, if a Hanzo is right next to you and uses his Storm Arrows on a already damaged Reinhardt, could pretty quickly take him out. Um, even if he's in the middle of using that Earth Shatter. Um, but now, if that Earth Shatter lands and Hanzo's too close, guess what? That Hanzo's gone, leveled, completely leveled. Uh, you know, same goes for Tracer, obviously. And Tracer, especially being a hero who uh, has a ton of mobility already and obviously can pop in and, you know, if you're using Tracer's uh, ultimate pulse bomb uh, effectively, can usually or, or frequently will target sort of the center of a battle, which is frequently a tank, zips in, throws that pulse bomb if you get caught in that hammer uh you know as a tracer you're done for at that point so interesting one there um i don't know that i mind that 1.75 meters of the impact area seems a little short i would think maybe they make that a um 
uh, not not within. So I guess maybe shorten that. So bring it down to maybe one meter, one and a half meter. I don't know. We'll we'll see. That does seem a little overpowered to me, but we'll see how it pans out. Torbjorn, rivet gun alternate fire fire ammo cost decreased from two to three. Um, I don't have a ton more to say about that. That's not too interesting of a change. Wrecking ball, grappling claw now has a maximum grapple time of six seconds. If you've ever been personally victimized by wrecking ball players spinning around the payload at the final second, this nerf is likely the best thing you've ever seen. Say goodbye to the spin to win strategy because wrecking ball players now only have six seconds to disrupt teams using the grapple claw. This one is actually to me probably one of the most interesting changes uh, in this whole patch where some of the other ones are a bit crazier. I think this one is probably one of the most appropriate ones and one of the ones that surprises me the most that it wasn't already a feature. Um, this kind of, honestly, this reminds me a lot of when they implemented the 222 roll lock. Uh, prior to being a fan of the Overwatch League and everything, um, and prior to really playing competitive uh, or the competitive mode of Overwatch, I actually thought that um, I thought that in competitive you were locked to two two two. I thought it was basically forced upon you uh, by the simple fact of that's how balance works. I did not know that that was not a thing, and that things like goats were, pardon me, a legitimate strategy used at very high levels of competition. Then, obviously, I became a fan of Overwatch League, found that was not the case, um, being that I started watching during the GOATS meta. And then, obviously, we saw the shift to 2-2-2, uh, where the GOATS meta ultimately, you know, came crashing down. Anyways, my point in saying all of that is that when Wrecking Ball came out and had this grappling claw, as somebody who didn't really play him and didn't really try try him out or anything too, too much, um, I actually thought his, his grappling claw would have a built-in maximum grapple time. Um, I did not think that spin to win would be a thing until obviously I encountered it in a match and went, holy cow, he can just do that? Um, so anyways, this seems like a very realistic change to me. Um, I'm sure uh, Wrecking Ball fans out there will not be super pleased with this because it's going to uh, change his playstyle quite a bit, especially, you know, I would say at the bronze, silver, gold levels of competition. Um, but it's not to say you don't see this at higher levels of play as well, because it definitely can prolong a fight, can extend things out so that, you know, maybe your team can make it back to a point or an objective and, uh, of course, really make an impact. So there you have it. That's a breakdown of the uh, the latest patch, um, which obviously brings some wild and crazy changes, but also things that I think are going to be better for the game overall, um, things that I think will... I mean, the biggest sort of uh, thing that I think you heard coming out of the Overwatch Creators Cup uh, experimental patch and everything was that people were really having fun again. Um, it really seemed like, I know Stylosa had a tweet where he mentioned uh, it was the first time he had fun, I think, playing with Brig in the game since Brig had basically been introduced. Now, Brig, obviously, a lot of people in terms of her play style um, and what she was able to do uh, a lot of people really said that Brig kind of broke the game and was a big shift in the game. But um, I digress. The point is, I think, coming off of the Creator Cup, the overall reception seemed to be that things were wild and wacky and fun again. And so it's no surprise to me that we're now seeing a lot of, uh, well, not a lot, but some of these changes or some things coming out of that uh, reception and really being pushed into the live game. So... I'm happy to see these. Um, 
you know, if I had to pick one that's going to get nerfed, I would say it's the Scatter Arrow. Um, that, or I guess it's not Scatter Arrow, it's called Storm Arrow, but it ricochets now. Um, I could see them at least nerfing the damage of it, um, but I also have not been playing lately, so I don't know how impactful it's actually been um, or what we've been seeing from it. So. Now let's move on. Our next and final news article for this week is going to come still from .esports.com, still from Liz Richardson, this time January 11th today, which reads, LEGO delays Overwatch 2 Titan set due to Activision Blizzard allegations. Iconic toy maker LEGO will be pausing the release of an Overwatch 2 set previously projected to release on February 2nd to review its partnership with Activision Blizzard Entertainment among ongoing lawsuits and scandals that have plagued the game developer. A statement from LEGO posted by The Brick Fan says the company has, quote, concerns about the progress being made by Activision Blizzard in relation to fair treatment of female employees and the development of a more diverse environment. Quote, we are currently reviewing our partnership with Activision Blizzard given concerns around the progress being made to address continuing allegations regarding workplace culture, especially the treatment of female colleagues and creating a diverse and inclusive environment, end quote, the company said. The state of California's Department of Fair Employment and Housing, bracket DFEH, sued Activision Blizzard last July and published the results of a two-year investigation that alleged widespread discriminatory practices from unequal pay to overt sexism and a, quote, frat boy culture. Additional lawsuits were filed by the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, bracket EEOC, which settled with Activision Blizzard for $18 million. Appeals from the DFEH, which wants to intervene in the EEOC settlement, are ongoing. Lego's comments about a lack of progress likely refer to continuing leadership of CEO Bobby, Bobby Kotick, who was at the center of a damning report by the Wall Street Journal in November that implicated him as a key part of Activision Blizzard's toxic culture. Despite numerous walkouts and petitions from employees, he remains in his position. The Overwatch 2 Titan set, which included figures of Tracer and May fighting a Titan, Omnic was slated, slated for February 2nd, 2022 release. This scene came directly from the Overwatch 2 cinematic Zero Hour, which was shown at BlizzCon 2019. Though Overwatch's long-anticipated sequel has dealt with ongoing delays, the release of a concrete item was good news for fans. Activision Blizzard and LEGO have had a long partnership releasing several sets based on Overwatch maps in the past. LEGO figures of various Blizzard characters have been prominently featured at BlizzCons, and Bastion, a damage dealer in Overwatch, even has a skin based on LEGO bricks. This delay, however, is just the latest in a long line of consequences that Activision Blizzard has faced in the aftermath of its lawsuits. Fellow developers like Sony and Nintendo have called out the company's handling of the allegations, and multiple sponsors paused or ended their partnerships with the Overwatch League last, late last year in the wake of the lawsuits. So there you go. Uh, that's a lengthy article on LEGO delaying a Overwatch 2 set coming out. Um, now, obviously, there's some speculation on Liz's part in this article uh, where she says... Um, uh, where was it? Uh, she basically says that this is likely due to what's going on with uh, the lawsuit. Now, it's not a stretch, so, you know, speculation or not, she's probably right in that sense. Um, but interesting to hear that these mega corporations, such as Lego, um, are still or still have this um, on their radar. Uh, you know, it's certainly not going away, um, which is good to see. And I do hope that we see some meaningful change coming from some of this, uh, uh, some of these other corporations, some outside pressure and things like that, which obviously Liz alludes to as well with her uh, talking about Nintendo and Sony. And I know Microsoft has made comments as well about, uh, you know, considering their partnerships with Activision and how Activision is approaching things um, 
given the current situation. So good on them. Um, you know, probably good to see Lego making this kind of a statement as well. Again, you know, pressure is pressure. And hopefully, um, everything, every, every little bit counts and pushes Activision Blizzard towards making the right decision, which if you are an avid listener of One Man Watchpoint, you will know the right decision in this host's mind is to fire Bobby Kotick. Now, Let's move on. Uh, that's all the news I actually want to talk about this week. So we're going to move on to the Owl Tracker, where we will jump on over to DottieSports.com with Liz Richardson's Overwatch League 2022 offseason trade tracker. Okay, so if you're new around here, we jump over to this article by Liz Richardson on DottieSports.com, uh, where she basically tracks... Sorry, 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 checking, checking things behind me. I heard a dog enter the room, but I don't know where she went. Uh, Liz Richardson basically tracks uh, movement within the Overwatch League, um, player signings, uh, I mean, I guess trades, although trades aren't really announced as trades, um, but signings, retirings, um, yeah, that kind of thing. Um, in some cases, promotions, obviously, as as coaching and staff and things like that move around. Uh, for some of the teams that partner or, or have a um, academy roster, moves between the two of them, that kind of thing. Um, so anyways... Let's dive on in there. Now, of course, it's been a little while since we took a look. The last time we were in here, it was December 14th, I believe. Uh, and the Los Angeles Valiant were finally starting to make some announcements and some moves on their roster. So we're going to start at December 15th, uh, which would be just about a month ago, a little over a month ago. We'll cover everything through December and into the new year um, as we, of course, reached the, I believe it was January... I'm just typing it in here. Third Janu January three. No, okay, I don't see it at all. Oh, there it is. Teams must have a minimum of five players signed by January third, twenty twenty two, and must have the roster minimum six players signed and ready to roll by March first. So, of course, we cross that January third uh, deadline at the start of the year, um, and we now know, I believe, every team's minimum five players. I'm just looking at a tracking spreadsheet that I have here. And yes, that looks to be correct. Um, so let's dive in there and take a quick look. So of course, we start at December 15th with the Los Angeles Gladiators signing DPS Padafan. Now I'm going to read an article here by Jessica Sharnagel over on DottieSports.com posted on December 15th when this was announced, which reads, Padafan goes back to his roots and signs with the Los Angeles Gladiators. The Los Angeles Gladiators officially confirmed today that Patafan Chai Wong is exiting Valorant and returning to his roots in the Overwatch League by joining the LA-based team. Patafan originally started his career in Overwatch in 2020, but he was too young to enter into a contract with an OWL team since players need to be at least 18 years of age. Now he's old enough to join a team and he's signed with the Gladiators for the 2022 season, which is set to be played on an early build of Overwatch 2. Since he was previously too young to play for an OWL team, Patafan moved over to competitive Valorant, where he played for Southeast Asian Team X10 Crit. They were fairly successful in international play this year and dominated in the SEA region. In fact, Patafan's team uh, is responsible for ousting North Americans Envy, a team that was expected to make at make it to make it out of groups at the recent VCT Champions event. Although they were able to beat one of the top NA teams, X10 Crit ended up losing to Masters Berlin winners Gambit Esports. 
The move back to Owl for Petafan was a rumor for some time. Some fans wondered whether he'd still make the jump if X10 crit made it far out of Valorant Champions, but it seems like Petafan's plan was always to return to Overwatch. Quote, in Overwatch, there are more opportunities for me outside of Southeast Asia, end quote, Patafan said in an interview with Dexerto. Quote, getting to live and play in America is something I cannot find anywhere else, end quote. Patafan joins vet veteran Owl players such as Daniel Funny Astro and Hitscan Prodigy Ons on the Los Angeles Gladiators. With the addition of Patafan, the Gladiators roster is now up to eight players ahead of the 2022 season. So this one, obviously, I wanted to talk about because of the... Um, uh, significance of this signing. Um, obviously, that article there uh, by Jessica talked a lot about the sort of impact he had on the scene back when he was too young to even play um, in the actual Overwatch League. So great to see him returning. Obviously, not something we see too frequently, right? Uh, especially, you know, these past couple of years um, with Valorant coming out and everything. We definitely saw um, sort of a shift of a lot of, or, or maybe not a lot, but a number of players retiring from Overwatch League to move over to Valorant, of course. So, moving on from there, we're going to jump over to December 17th with the Toronto Defiant adding Flex DPS, although, and this will take us to another article by Liz Richardson, the Toronto Defiant is continuing to bol bolster its revamped roster with familiar faces heading into the 2022 Overwatch League season. Flex DPS Although, who previously played for the London Spitfire, will be joining the Defiant roster next year, the team announced today. Although was a relatively unknown player when he joined the Spitfire's mostly rookie squad before the 2022 Overwatch League season. Well, the players well the, well, the players showed promise, sorry. A mid-season move to the East region due to COVID-19 derailed many of their plans. London dropped its entire roster after the 2022 season, and although moved to Overwatch Contenders Korea, playing for O2 Blast. He's been a part of the team since then, aside from a short loan to Team BM. The Flex DPS will join Hisu, the only defiant holdover from the 2021 season, and fellow rookie Finale in the damage lineup. After dropping most of its players early in the offseason, Toronto has pieced together talented rookies with league standbys to create its roster. Talon Esports standout Korong, uh, Korong Chorong, I'm never sure. One of the offseason's most hyped players will team up with former San Francisco Shock Flex support Twilight in the support line. Former Los Angeles Gladiators main tank Muse and former Philadelphia Fusion off tank Hotba round out the 2022 Defiant roster. So obviously, wanted to mention that one as a uh, fan of the Toronto Defiant and follower of the Toronto Defiant, um, because that, I believe, is the latest information we have about the Toronto Defiant and helps to round out their roster. If we look at the roster for the Toronto Defiant, they have Muse and Hotba on tank, Hisu on hitscan, uh, although on flex DPS, Korong on main support, and Twilight on flex support. And of course, as uh, I mentioned there, uh, but isn't actually on my tracking spreadsheet here for some reason, um, Finale, of course, also being on the DPS role there. So they're sitting at seven. Um, do I expect to see another signing? Maybe, but probably probably not, I feel like, knowing what the uh, talent pool looks like at this point, um, you know, aside from the contender scene, which I don't really pay too much attention to. Um, I believe, it, potentially, if they were going to bolster the roster in any further, I believe they would be adding another flex support so that it's not strictly Twilight. But I do think the Twilight Korong uh, backline is shaping up to be uh, pretty impressive, so... There you have it for the Toronto Defiance roster. Coming back to Liz's article here, December 19th, the Los Angeles Valiant at DPS Innovation. December 20th, the Los Angeles Valiant at DPS Becky. 
December 22nd, the Boston Uprising promote DPS Victoria from Uprising Academy. December 27th, the Los Angeles Valiant sign support coldest. So obviously we have a ton of movement on the Los Angeles Valiant side there, uh, with a number of players being announced and signed. If we take a look at their current roster, it looks like we have Becky on tank, we have Dia slash Innovation on hitscan DPS, and we have coldest on flex support. Um, now that's only four, so they must have... Uh, I mean, obviously we know at this point we're past the January 3rd deadline, so they do have five signed. Um, whether or not they've announced five, I'm not too sure. There may just be one missing from this tracking spreadsheet I'm looking at. Um, but I digress. Um, their roster really kind of filling out. Although they still have a few blank spots that they will need to fill, obviously. They'll get there, I'm sure. And then, of course, we have the Boston Uprising mentioning they're promoting uh, Victoria up from the... Um, what did I call it? Uprising Academy there. And if we look at Boston's roster, we see Marvel and Punk on tank. We see Striker and Victoria on hitscan uh, DPS. We see Flex DPS being Valentine. We see Main Support Faith. And we see Flex Support Crimzo slash MCD. So Boston sitting with eight, um, which seems to be probably the league standard at this point. Um, at, I, I would say it looks like most teams are going for either seven or eight. Potentially, those teams with seven still have one to announce, and then some of the uh, you know, I don't want to say more stacked teams. It doesn't. It's not necessarily a reflection on quality, but some of the teams that maybe have a little more money to throw around seem to be sitting um, more at that nine-player mark, which is interesting. Um, at this point, actually, I think there's only one with nine, so I think seven or eight players seeming to be the average at this point. Um, with with maybe, uh, you know, the sevens looking to bolster or boost themselves up to an eight eventually. Now back to the roster reports. January 4th, day after the deadline, the Chengdu Hunters announce head coach Rui stepping down to become honorary advisor and the team adding assistant coach Jay Feel. I'm going to read an article here by Liz uh, Richardson over on Daily Sports, of course. While many teams have made big changes during the Overwatch League offseason, the Chengdu Hunters camp has remained remarkably quiet with only minor changes made to its roster. But as 2022 begins, the team is switching up its management department first. Head coach Rui will step down from his position before the fifth season begins in April and will instead become the Chengdu's, quote, honorary advisor, the team announced last night. In a post on Weibo, Rui cited health issues and a need to spend time with his family as reasons for his resignation. During a vacation in October, the coach realized he wasn't taking care of himself or his household and suffered medical issues according to a community translation of the post. Rui had been with the Hunters on and off since late 2018. He left the team after the 2019 season due to health issues that were exacerbated by his participation in the high-stress environment of the Overwatch World Cup 2019. Rui returned to Chengdu as its head coach in late 2020 and helped give the Hunters its most successful season ever. The team has yet to add a new coach, new head coach, but former Shanghai Dragons assistant coach Jay Feel will join the Hunters for the 2022 Overwatch League season. He joins current assistant coaches Creed and Yauxi on Chengdu's management side. So there you go. I wanted to shout that one out because um, although I personally obviously uh, don't know the Chengdu Hunters as I don't know most of the Eastern region teams too, too well. Um, there was a lot of talk about Rui's impact, uh, not only on Chengdu, but on the Overwatch League as a whole. Um, and apparently he was uh, uh, quite a, a good player in the in the scene and a significant, um, significant part of Chengdu's success. So obviously, sad to see him go, um, but just just like always, we wish him the best um, and hope that the Chengdu Hunters have something up their sleeves to replace him. 
Moving on from there, we're going to jump over to January 5th, where the Philadelphia Fusion sign Flexport Aim God and Tank Fury. So we're going to jump over to another article here. After a difficult 2021, the Philadelphia Fusion is calling upon longtime Overwatch League staple to offer some support. Flex support Aim God will be joining the Fusion for the 2022 season, the team announced today. Aim God is likely a familiar name to many Overwatch League fans, considering he's been around the league, uh, been around since the league kicked off in 2018. He started his career with Boston Uprising, providing clutch support during one of the team's most successful periods. Aim God then helped, uh, headed to the Washington Justice in 2020, but was later dropped after the season's conclusion. He spent the latter half of 2021 as a part of Team CC, the Shanghai Dragons' successful Overwatch Contenders Academy team, and he'll take the knowledge gained there back to the Fusion roster. Filling the flex support position was likely a difficult choice for the Fusion. Both the team and the league as a whole are still reeling from the sudden death of Alarm on November 7th at just 20 years old. Philadelphia also announced today that the team will be temporarily staying in Seoul, South Korea, where it competed for most of the 2021 due, most of 2021 due to COVID-19 concerns. Veteran Tank Fury is heading back to the Fusion for the 2022 season too. With this signing, the Philadelphia Fusion have publicly revealed a five-player roster. The Overwatch League required a minimum of five players to be signed, but not necessarily announced by January 3rd, 2022. So, um, interesting one here. If we take a look at Philadelphia's roster, they've got Fury on tank, they've got Carpe and MN3 on hitscan, they've got Zest on flex DPS, and they've got Aim God on flex support. So that does put them, as the article mentions there, at five. Uh, they are missing a main support player at this very moment, but again, there's no obligation for them to announce it just because of the, the deadline, especially given they're already at the league minimum of five. So there you have it. Um, wanted to mention that, though, because that article also touches on the fact that Philadelphia will be continuing uh, in the eastern region. So, of course, that means our eastern region is going to be um, the Shanghai Dragons, Seoul Dynasty, Philadelphia Fusion, of course. Uh, the Los Angeles Valiant, the Hangzhou Spark, the Guangzhou Charge, and the Chengdu Hunters. Now, one thing you'll notice is I did not mention the New York Excelsior. So let's continue with our um, Overwatch League tracker here. We'll go to January 7th, where the New York Excelsior adds tank Kellen, DPS Yaki, and supports Myungbong and Gangnam Jin. And that's going to take us over to an article on DottieSports.com by Jessica Shark. Sharnagle on January 7th, which reads, NYXL returns to New York, unveils roster for 2022 Overwatch League season. Not only has the New York Excelsior revealed its entire roster today, the organization also announced it is returning to New York after a season in the East region where the team played matches from a facility in South Korea. DPS Flora was the only player that remained on the lineup from the 2021 season. Main tank Kellen joins the team from Contenders Korea's Talon Esports as its sole tank. Because the Overwatch League will play the 2022 season on an early build of Overwatch 2, the team may not see another tank added to the roster. It has to have six players signed by March 1st, however, so the NYXL will add at least one additional player before the start of the season. Yaki and, Flo and Flora are the team's two DPS players for the 2022 season if more players are not added before the season begins. Yaki came from the Florida Mayhem and is most well known for his tracer plays. Flora is the NYXL's resident hitscan player. He has the ability to reach into his deep pool of heroes to pull out what is needed when the opponents change course. For the NYXL's support line, Gangnam Jin, who also came from the Mayhem, and Myungbong, who comes from the Boston Uprising, have been added to the team. 
Although fans won't see them play professionally until the season starts, there is quite a bit of overlap in their preferred heroes, so it is possible there may be a player who specializes in main support added to the team before the March 1st deadline. North American fans reacted to the news of the team returning to the region favorably. Last season, fans in New York and NA had to wake up prior to 6am to watch matches live or catch the encores and try to avoid match spoilers. Now, NA fans will be able to watch their favorite teams play live during daytime hours, and they will also get to see them play against other North American teams in the 2022 season. With an all-new roster of players and the team's return to New York to play in the West region, it is an exciting year for NYXL fans. Although the departure of support Jonak to the Seoul Dynasty was a tough hit for fans, this roster is promising, and fans are happy to have their team back in the region for the 2022 season. So, there you have it. That's obviously why I mentioned uh, which teams are playing in the East, because we now know that while Philadelphia will be staying in the East, New York will actually be coming back to the West or the North American region. So obviously wanted to cover that article because it does highlight uh, that that change in New York's, uh, uh, I guess, geographic play. Um, but regardless, um, it's it's exciting to see, honestly. Um, I'm excited to see this roster on New York. Uh, I am obviously a have been a Florida Mayhem fan for a while. Um, Yaki was a big part of that, so I'm excited to see him moving to New York now, and perhaps I'll become a New York Excelsior fan, which I certainly don't mind. Um, they obviously have some history in New York. So yeah, I'm excited to see this uh, newly announced New York roster in action. Now finally, that brings us to our last entry on the trade tracker, which is from January 9th, which reads, DPS Jimmy and Taro Cookie leave the Chengdu Hunters and join the team's academy roster, Team Chaser. So of course, uh, this one, you know, obviously hits a little less significant than those other uh, announcements we talked about. Um, granted, if we take a look at the... Uh, where'd, my, where'd my article go there? Jimmy and Taro Cookie. If we take a look at... The Chengdu Hunters roster, this does leave their hitscan DPS role open with Jimmy being gone. Um, I'm not actually sure uh, where exactly. I'm pulling it up here. Taro cookie fit into things. Um, hmm. Interesting, interesting. My my tracking spreadsheet that I'm looking at here does not have him listed. But I digress. Um, shows that the Chengdu Hunters may actually be making some moves, may actually have something up their sleeves that people weren't expecting, um, given they were one of the teams that has remained largely quiet when it comes to uh, this offseason. Obviously, the other big one is the Shanghai Dragons, who I don't think have had any changes from this past season. Not saying they need to or anything like that. Um, just that is a simple observation, of course. Um, but yeah, I digress. Uh, seeing a little bit of movement on the Chengdu side, which was certainly unexpected, uh, especially this late in the offseason. So that brings us uh, to January 9th of this year, which as of recording would be two days ago, as of the time you're listening to this will be three days ago. Um, so certainly we've got some, you know, some time where we will need to see some more additions to a few of these teams. Um, if it's January 12th, we've got February 12th and then March 12th. So less than two months because the deadline for um, a full six player signed is March 1st. So, you know, call it call it a month and a half here. And by that time, we should have full uh, a full six players on each team. Now, looking at this roster tracking spreadsheet, which again, seems to be maybe a touch out of date. Um, if we look at the players or the teams that have less than six right now, I see the Philadelphia Fusion. 
I see the New York Excelsior. I see the Los Angeles Valiant, although, like I said, that one might just be out of date. Um, the Houston Outlaws have been pretty quiet for a little while now. They do have five, um, but I, I haven't heard much on that front in a while. Other than that, looks like pretty much every team has uh, a full a full five minimum, I mean six or more announced. Um, the only teams that actually do have six look to be the Paris Eternal, the San Francisco Shock, um, as well as the Toronto Defiant, although I don't see Finale there, so never mind, not Toronto, they have seven. So there you have it. Um, interesting stuff as the offseason kind of, I feel like winds down, even though we've got some holes and some rosters. Um, we'll certainly see those holes filled but uh, ultimately, I mean, as was pointed out um, by, I believe, Sean Miller, VP of the league or, or whatever his title is, um, just because we hit those deadlines, those, those roster deadlines, does not mean teams have to announce these things publicly. So, you know, teams may have more than they've already told us. Um, but I digress. We'll, we'll see what happens and shapes up in the rest of the offseason. And on that note, we're going to move on over to the outro of this episode so come on down and let's talk it out i'm in no rush all right well here we are at the end of episode 63 of one man watchpoint as i mentioned uh earlier in the episode we are looking forward to potentially hearing some overwatch league related news or just overwatch 2 news related news i suppose uh, in a couple days here. So mark it on your calendars. January 14th, I believe, was the date. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we get some good news about Overwatch 2. If not, maybe some good news about the Overwatch League. Although I would lean to uh, towards it being focused on Overwatch 2 more than anything. Um, yeah, cross your fingers. That will get something exciting to talk about. And of course, if that's the case, uh, tune in to Ready, Set, Pwn next week, uh, available on podcast services everywhere, and we'll discuss that uh, with myself, with Chris and Alex, uh, Omni Strife and Light Force. Um, and if it's big enough, then check your podcast feed for One Man Watchpoint. Maybe I'll do a special episode and we'll talk about, we'll dissect what gets announced um, a little bit further there. Again, this is all speculation. January 14th could come and go with absolutely no mention of anything. So, you know, mark it on your calendars as a potential nothing and a hopefully uh, a minor announcement at the minimum. So, now, that was episode 63 of One Man Watchpoint, an Overwatch podcast. I'm, of course, your host, Sir Dr. JM. That's at Sir DRJM on all socials. Give me a follow on Instagram. Give me a follow on Twitter. And, of course, reach out to me on Twitter. Um, with topics, questions, concerns. If you review this podcast on podcast services out there, um, you can review on Spotify. So uh, drop a five-star review on Spotify. Um, leave a comment, whatever. Uh, reach out to me on Twitter, and uh, I'm happy to talk about whatever you'd like me to talk about on the show. If you have suggestions, if you'd like to get to know me a little more personally, you know, maybe have me talk about some other games, uh, feel free to let me know, because I am more than willing to do that. I love games, I love playing games, and I do play a wide range of them. You can catch this podcast on all podcast services out there, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc., etc. So give us a follow, leave us a review there, and of course, if you do leave a review, I will read it out on the show. Thank you very much for our, attending our first episode of, G of, of January. Uh, I mean, there's only going to be two episodes in January, maybe three, as we mentioned. Uh, thank you very much for listening to our first episode of the year 2022. Hopefully this year will shake things up and we will get a ton of Overwatch 2 news. Hopefully we will jump to the top of the charts and have just so much 
good content and good stuff to break down. Hopefully we'll be able to get back to what I originally envisioned this podcast being. Um, a little bit more talk about the game. Um, a little bit more talk about you know things like lore, characters, kits, uh, maps, what's going on in the game, um, what's coming. Uh, you know, all that fun stuff. Um, although we'll obviously keep the Overwatch League focus as well, especially as we run into April when the start of the Overwatch League 2022 season begins. So without further ado, thank you so much for listening. Drop us a review, reach out to me on Twitter at SirDrJM, and we'll catch you in a couple weeks time. Roadhog time.